Good day and welcome to Eyewitness Good News, the first name in good news coverage. Today is a great day as we continue our in-depth coverage on the life of the recently deceased Jesus of Nazareth, who some claims the promised Messiah, even the Son of God. You've heard the buzz, you've heard all the rumors, and it's time to get the facts. Luke, the physician, has a reputation for carefully researched reporting, and this promises to be no exception. He has read the written accounts, traveled to the original locations, and interviewed eyewitnesses. And now that his careful investigation is over, he is ready to share his orderly account with all our viewers. For the details of his research, please find a copy of his excellent book. But for now, we will send you over to the field for today's top story. Thanks again to Luke for his excellent research, and thank you for tuning in. As always, this is Josh Smith for Eyewitness Good News. Good morning to you. I am so glad to be together. My name's Ethan. I'm one of the ministers here, and we're going to have a good time uh, today. Uh, before I jump into the message, though, I just want to say again what you just heard Megan say about Easter. Easter is right around the corner. Uh, so not next week, but the week after. In two weeks is Palm Sunday. For Palm Sunday, we're going to celebrate all the way from the hallelujahs all the way to the cross. It'll sort of have a service of darkness feel. It'll kind of be different than our normal experience. You're not going to want to miss uh, Palm Sunday. And then you heard about the prayer experience that happens during the week. And then Easter weekend, we've got services on Saturday and Sunday. And here's what I want to challenge you right now. I want to challenge you to decide to be intentional about how you prepare for Easter. We're going to have a great service together on Easter. We're going to have a really, just the whole service is coming together so beautifully. It's going to be a strong presentation of the gospel. I want to tell you what our, our title is going to be and our theme. Uh, we're, we're, we're working on a title. The, the, the phrase we're going to use is surprised by life. We're going to be looking at the final chapter of Luke uh, where none of Jesus' disciples were expecting life. They thought it was the end. They thought it was over. They didn't see it coming, and then they were surprised. And lots of people you know are living in that same situation. They think they are at the end of their story. They think the good times are over. They think hope is gone. They think there is not a second chapter, and they need to be surprised by life. We're going to share some testimonies together of people have, who have been surprised by the life God wants to give them. And we're going to offer the good news to you and everybody else that God still surprises us with life. And so if you know anybody who needs to hear that message, I hope you will decide today to bring them and invite them. That's the gospel message, and I have a gospel challenge for every one of us, okay? There is a missionary challenge for you in preparation for Easter. We say part of the DNA of FCC, right? We say we're going to, what we say, we're going we're gonna to love God and love others, make disciples and tell our story. And we say we do that by living like missionaries. Okay, so if you're a missionary, here's what I need from you. Number one, if you're able, attend our, our Saturday services. So there's the most room possible for guests to come on Sunday morning. Attend on Saturday if you can. Number two, park like a missionary. Parking is always a problem on Easter. And I just want to tell you, every year on Easter, somebody comes, they drive in, and they can't find a spot, 
and they drive off. I've watched it happen with my own two eyes. They come, they pull in, they can't find a spot, and they drive off. I don't know where they go. Maybe they go to another church. Maybe they go to McDonald's. I don't know. The way we prevent that is those of us who consider ourselves missionaries park like it on Easter Sunday. And the last thing I would just challenge you as you prepare for Easter is invite people like you're a missionary. Um, almost everybody who joins a church does so because they were brought on the personal invitation of somebody else. I mean, we're going to do all the things. We're going to do the, you know, the, the ads and the whatnot. We'll do all that stuff. But the vast majority of people who make a step toward Jesus, they do it because somebody they know who loves them said, hey, you want to come with me? Uh, in fact, I would say some of you, you're like, you heard me say that thing about attending on Saturday, and you're like, oh, I don't want to come on Saturday. Here's how you can let yourself on the hook. I mean, off the hook, rather. You bring 10 guests, and you invite them to come on Sunday, well, then you can come on Sunday, too. That's the way it works, okay? You bring 10 people with you, you get to come on Sunday, too, all right? This is the challenge for us for Easter. Attend like a missionary, park like a missionary, and invite like a missionary. We want to make that as easy as possible. Grab one of these prayer cards, um, I mean, invite cards, rather. Um, prayer is the next thing I'm going to talk about. Grab one of these invite cards. They're really cool. They explain everything that's going on. They've got all the times on there. They've got this little seed paper so they can plant it in their garden if they want to, if they're that kind of person. Um, take one of these invite cards. They should be shoving them in your hands as you walk out the door today. Don't resist it. Grab one and decide. Even if you don't know who you're going to invite, take it with you and let it convict you to invite somebody to church this Easter. All right? But... Last thing I got to tell you is tonight, remember, we have our first of our prayer nights. We're doing these four prayer experiences throughout the year for the whole church. We're trying to make our year about prayer. The first one of those is tonight. So be back here this evening for that. All right, let's jump in to eyewitness good news. Why do we call it eyewitness good news? Well, because this is the way Luke describes his writing process. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly, and we've talked about how that word orderly doesn't mean chronological, but it means organized, account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I love, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because it lets me know that Luke is a skeptic just like me, and Luke wanted to know for sure just like I do, and so Luke investigated who knew what happened, when it happened, where it happened, and how could we be so sure, and he says, I wrote this so that you can be, know the certainty of the things you've been taught. We've been working through uh, the Gospel of Luke three chapters at a time. Maybe you've been reading along. Remember the challenge is to read the Gospel of Luke by Easter. It's not too late, even if you haven't even started yet. You've got three weeks. It'll take you two hours total from beginning to end to read it. You can find two hours to read the Bible in three weeks. So read through the Gospel of Luke. And this week we make it to chapters 16, 17, and 18. And like Josh Smith said, if you want to know everything that happened in those chapters, you'll have to go read the book, because we're just going to look at one text. You can open your Bibles now to Luke chapter 18. If you brought a Bible with you, if not, look under the chairs in front of you. I bet you'll find one, or maybe you've been pulled up on your phone, Luke chapter 18. 
Uh, Luke chapter 18 is one of these well-organized sections of the gospel of Luke. Chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19, Luke is very focused on one particular theme, one particular question. Uh, We might call this question something like this, how can I gain access to God? Or who has access to God? And that's still a pretty relevant question, right? Maybe it's a question you're asking today. Maybe you don't feel like you have access to God and you're wondering, how do I gain access to God? Who gets access to God? Whose prayers are listened to? Whose whose petitions does God care about? Who is God willing to be in relationship with? Maybe you're wondering things like that. Maybe you know people who wonder that. Maybe they're even looking to you to figure out the answer. They might be asking you, You know, how do you get access to God? Or they might just be watching you. How do you demonstrate? Do you demonstrate that you're a person who's in connection with God? That's what Luke chapter 18 and the first half of 19 is all about. How do we get access to God? How do we get access to Jesus? There's some great stories in this chapter. If you've got it in front of you, you can kind of scan some of these great stories. There's there's the parable of the persistent widow where Jesus teaches that one of the ways we get access to God is by persistently going to God in prayer. And God blesses our persistence in prayer. There's the story of Jesus welcoming the little children where Jesus' disciples expect Jesus to kind of push them away. But he says, no, 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 bring me all the kids. In fact, this is how we should approach God. We should approach God like little children. There's the the story near the end of chapter 18 of the rich young ruler. He was a guy who wanted access to Jesus. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus. He wants to know, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And they have this great conversation. And at the end of this conversation, we discover this curious thing. Jesus says, it's actually hard for a rich person to be part of the kingdom of God. That's what he says. That applies to some of you. Some of y'all rich people, right? You know you're a rich person if you have a house for your car, right? That's how you know. If your car lives in a house, you're rich. That's the way, that's the, way the rules work. And Jesus says it's hard for rich people to, uh, to access the kingdom of God. Because they're tempted to trust themselves and trust their stuff instead of trusting God. This leads his disciples to ask Jesus. They say, well, wait a second. Well, then how does, I mean, does anybody get saved? Like if that's hard for rich people, we thought rich people were the blessed people and the lucky people. If it's even hard for them to access God, can anybody do it? And Jesus says, verse 26, Luke 18, 26, they asked who then can be saved? And Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's kind of a, Enigmatic answer, isn't it? We're going to look at one of these stories together today. One of these stories in this section about how do we access God. It's a parable. Um, Parables are stories with meaning, right? That's what a parable is. Um, Rhetorically, parables have a lot in common with a joke, Uh, Not that they're meant to be trivial or humorous, but you know how the way a joke works is the details of a joke don't really matter. They just set you up for the punchline, right? And as long as you understand the details well enough to get the punchline, we will say you get the joke. And parables are like that. 
They have a, a punchline. Not a humorous punchline, but an impactful punchline. Uh, a, a kind of a point of impact that's meant to change and challenge you. And the details of the parable matter only enough to help us get the parable. The parable we're going to look at today has an impact like that. The impact of the parable we're going to look at today is good news for everyone who feels broken and far from God. But this parable is a profound warning. It's one of the most serious warnings in Scripture for religious people, for people who pretty much think they have their lives together, for people who are pretty sure that they're in a good place with God. This parable is a word of warning. It's in Luke 18, and it starts in verse 9. So if you've got your Bibles open to there by then, let's, let's read this together. To some who were confident in their own righteousness. That's who Jesus is talking to today. To anybody who's confident of their own goodness, secure in their own having it togetherness, and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, like I said, the purpose of parables is not to focus on the details, but you have to understand the details well enough to get the punchline, right? So we need to know who these two characters are because everybody Jesus is talking to knew who these two characters were. The Pharisees were the moral leaders of their community. They took God's word seriously, and everybody knew it. They took God's law seriously and lived in obedience to it, and everybody knew that. The Pharisees were respected by the people. They were respected by the government. They almost always were people of some wealth, they had a reputation, a well-deserved reputation for personal holiness. Everybody who knew the Pharisees thought they were pretty good guys. Maybe if you grew up in the church and you've heard them used in Bible stories, they're sometimes the villain of our Bible stories because they weren't very big fans of Jesus. But they weren't the villains of their day in their community. They were the respectable folks of their community. They were on all the boards of all the nonprofits, doing all the good work, caring for all the people. When there was a river cleanup day, they showed up to clean. And they were confident in their own righteousness. They were good people. And they knew it. In contrast, the tax collector was none of those things. They were corrupt. They were in cahoots with the Romans. They were hated by the people. They weren't on the boards of any of the nonprofits. And they never went to the river cleanup day. And everybody hated them. And both men arrived at the temple hoping for access 
to God. The Pharisee prays first. Luke 11. I mean, Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. That's how the Pharisee prays. God, I thank you that I am a holy, righteous man, not like these other awful people. Now, here's the interesting thing we have to observe about this prayer. This is almost certainly an accurate prayer. The problem is not that he's lying. He probably wasn't a robber. He'd probably been rich his whole life. What did he ever need to steal? He probably wasn't sleeping around. He probably did avoid evil, and I'm sure that he tithed. I expect he did fast. Fasting was common in this day as a way to focus your prayer life. Jesus did it. Christians ever since have done it. It's a good discipline. And this is his prayer. And we can ask the question, how did God receive that prayer? There was another prayer. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Again, this is likely a very accurate prayer. He probably was a sinner. We should assume he was a deeply corrupt person who spent most of his life ripping off his neighbors. And he definitely needed God's mercy. And we can wonder, how did God receive that prayer? Did that kind of prayer from that kind of man gain him access to God? Jesus tells us the next verse. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Uh, Justified means that you have a right standing with God. You have been declared not guilty and your relationship with God has been restored. That's what it means to be justified. Before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, some of you have heard this parable before, and you've heard this teaching before, but just for a minute, we have to acknowledge that the position Jesus is arguing for here is crazy. The one who does basically everything right and is trying super hard to be a good person, but is a tiny bit arrogant about it, that one is not in good standing with God. And the one who does basically everything wrong and then falls on their face and pleads for mercy, that one and God are all square? Yes. Exactly so. That's what Jesus is teaching. That morality that leads to arrogance cuts you off from God. 
And immorality that leads to repentance brings you right to the foot of the cross. Now, here's where I need to offer a disclaimer, lest I be misunderstood. I am a huge fan of obedience to God. So is God, and so is Jesus. Obedience is a response to God's love. Obedience demonstrates that we trust God both to save us and, we, and to lead us. Obedience is evidence that the Spirit is at work in us, transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And intentional disobedience is, can be a sign that we have rejected God's love and rejected God's lordship. And so we can never make light of disobedience. But obedience of any kind, at any level, does not secure our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is secured by mercy. And no one is ever obedient enough to approach God without needing mercy. In fact, and this is the warning that Jesus is trying to offer. He says, remember it says he told this parable to those who were confident in their own righteousness. This is the danger I want to tell you about. It can happen that out of good motives, you begin to obey God. And then your obedience cultivates in you pride for just what a good boy or girl you are. And you begin to think more of yourself and less of others because of how righteous you are and how unrighteous they are. And that spiritual pride, that spiritual pride, your temptation to feel smugly proud of how good you are and how bad they are is a direct obstacle to your access to God. It will break your relationship with God. James, in the letter he writes, he puts it so very bluntly, and I, 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 I tremble at the bluntness of his words. He says this, God opposes the proud. There are very few places in scripture where it says God is opposed to someone. God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Jesus says that two men went up to pray. One of them was a super messed up dude. He did basically everything wrong. He had the wrong job. He had the wrong religious practices. He had the wrong, the wrong way of treating his neighbors, the wrong personal morality. And he throws himself on the mercy of God. And because God is merciful, he is justified. Reestablished in a right relationship with God. The other was this super great guy. Like he had a reputation for holiness and it was well deserved. He was just really impressed by himself really proud of how holy he was and really proud that he wasn't like that loser tax collector over in the corner. And Jesus says that his pride cut him off from God. We're talking about access, right? 
We're talking about how do you get into relationship with God. It got me, got me thinking about doors. Have you ever showed up here at the church, like at an off hour, like not on a Sunday, you know, when everything's basically open? Well, this, 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 this building has 11 exterior entrances. That's too many for a building this size? I'm aware of that, yeah. But what that means, though, is if you show up here at off hours and you park the wrong place, it can take you 10 minutes to find the door that's unlocked. We had the men's breakfast here the other day. A bunch of people showed up. Well, somebody parked over here because they're used to coming in that door. Like, we were all eating. We were, done with, we were done with breakfast by the time they found an open door. That's what can happen. That can happen spiritually, see. I worry about that for some of us. I worry about it for myself. I worry about it for you. You can show up thinking you're going to gain access to God and you show up at the wrong door. Uh, like here, we got two doors here. You can sort of imagine that both these doors promised access to God. And you're trying to figure out which door you should walk through. You know, which is the right door for you? Like uh, my wife and I, we walk a lot uh, out by Freedom Hall. And so we'll often be walking right when a, a show is getting ready to happen, right? You ever, walk, you ever go to these shows at Freedom Hall, right? And sometimes there'll be two big lines and the, and the, the doors will have big signs on top. And, and one of the signs will say, already have tickets. And the people who bought tickets in advance go in that door. And another big line will say, need tickets. And the need ticket line is always longer because, you know, you got to go and you got to get your wallet out and you got to buy the ticket. It just takes longer. And then the have ticket line, those people just walk right on through, right? And, and the people in the need ticket line, they're always a little resentful of the people in the have ticket line, you know, because the have ticket people just kind of walk in, show their ticket and keep on walking. We could put signs on, this, on these doors. We'll make this the, the have ticket door. Uh, we'll call this, this is, this is the door you enter. If you are, uh, if you're better than most, I mean, you're not perfect, you know, that'd be unreasonable, but you're pretty good. Most of y'all, you definitely qualify. I know most of you, you're definitely better than most people, most of you. Some of you not, but most of you, you know. And, and we could call this door, in need of mercy. And there are these two doors that both promise access to God. And you're just trying to figure out which is the right door for you to go into, right? You know, I see this, you know, people, uh, people do this at Freedom Hall too. They'll, they'll see the one sign that says need tickets and the other sign that says have tickets. And they'll, they'll walk up and they're looking at their phone. And so you know what they have is the e-ticket on their phone. And, uh, and if you're old like me, you're not sure, does this qualify as a ticket? I have a picture of a ticket on my phone. Does that mean I have a ticket or I don't have a ticket? In case you're wondering, that actually means you have a ticket. That's the only kind of ticket there is these days. They haven't printed paper tickets since 2015. So all they have left are the ones on your phone, okay? So that means you have a ticket, but you're confused. Which door do I go in? And, and, and you, that could happen here. You know, I want to get access to God. And here you are, you showed up to church because you want access to God. And, and you're just not sure which door would it make sense for you to go in. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I, maybe I should go in this door because 
I mean, it applies. I am better than most people. I mean, have you met most people? So I mean, I mean, it could be reasonable to think this is the door. And, and the other thing you notice is you notice the people that are lined up at this door. They're a good-looking bunch. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the people, the people queuing up at this door. Oh, my goodness. You don't want to be in line with those, but the people at this door, that's good. Maybe you're trying to figure out which door do you want to go in. Maybe what you need to figure out is which, which door are you, have you, which line have you already gotten in? Where are you lined up to enter the kingdom of heaven? Where have you lined up? Here's how you can tell you've lined up at this door. And uh, remember, Jesus said, I, I told this pair, he told this parable to those who are confident in their own righteousness. So I want you to find out. I want you to just pay attention with me. Here's how you know you've lined up at the better than most door. Well, first thing is this. There are only two people in the parable. And so if you don't know that you're in this line, you're in this one. If you aren't 100% sure that the only way you approach God is on your knees seeking his grace, and you, you think, I bring a little bit to the table, well, then you're in this line. You can tell that you're in this line trying to go through this door, if you spend a lot of time thinking about how bad other people are. You know, go on Facebook. Half the Facebook comment, half of Facebook is telling other people how bad they are. And if you contribute to that, you're probably in this line. If you and your friends sit around talking about how bad those people are, how foolish those people are, how stupid those people are, how corrupt those people are, how destructive those people are, those people that are doing all those bad things, what does the Pharisee say? Thank God I am not like those people. If that's what it sounds like when you and your friends hang out, you're probably in this line. If you're pretty sure that the most important sins in our society are the ones other people commit. You're, you're probably lined up trying to get in this door. If when you talk about the moral issues of Jesus and the way God's word leads us to live, if when you talk about that, you spend most of your time condemning other people rather than promoting goodness, you're probably lined up at this door. If you spend more time comparing your morality to the morality of other people rather than the person of Jesus Christ, you're definitely lined up at this door. I, I do this little diagnostic test with you because I want you to tell you that, 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 that lining up at this door is dangerous for a lot of reasons. You know? You line up at the have tickets door when you need tickets. You get up to the door and they're like, you don't have tickets. You need to go back to the back of the need ticket line. Same way, you line up at this door, it's dangerous for a lot of reasons. Lining up at this door stops repentance in your life. Comparison leads to complacency. If you are comparing your morality to other people's, well, you can always find somebody worse than you. So why do you need to grow? Why do you need to mature? You can just look at them and condemn them and celebrate your own goodness. 
Comparison leads to complacency. It stops repentance. Instead, if you contemplate the goodness of Christ, it accelerates repentance. The other thing lining up at this door does is it destroys your witness. People can sense the condescension. The condescension. I don't, I'm not one of these people who flies a lot, and I'm not one of these people who, when I fly, have all these spiritual conversations, but it does happen to me every once in a while. Happened to me, I don't know, it was probably a year ago now. Maybe two. A guy on a plane, we got talking, he figured out I was a pastor. He said, I've got a question. I said, okay. He says, why is it that Christians think they're better than everyone else. Man, everything in me wanted to say, no, we don't, we don't. But, but he already knew. He knew what door we'd all lined up at. Lining up at this door stops your spiritual growth. You stop pursuing the blessing of greater obedience. Lining up at this door promotes cruelty. Because if you're better than other people, then why bother treating them well? And that is the reputation of God's church today, that we think we're better than other people and we treat people that way. Also, lining up this door, it's usually not even true. You're often not better than most. Half the time, Half the time, maybe even more than half the time, in my life, what I've discovered, in any area where my moral performance exceeds that of another, here's what I've discovered. It usually has very little to do with the quality of my character and has everything to do with the context of my life. I'll just give you one sort of trivial example. I don't cuss. I know, be impressed, whatever. I don't cuss. And I used to, like, look down at people who had a foul mouth, you know. I remember one time somebody told me, you've probably heard the line, you know, profanity is evidence of a weak mind, right, you know. And I kind of go, yeah, that's right. There's two whatever, blah, blah, blah. People would tease me sometimes, friends, why don't you ever cuss, Magnus? And I, I would say something real holy. I'd be like, well, the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's why I don't cuss. What I didn't say is, you know what the real reason I probably don't cuss is? My parents didn't cuss. My grandparents, nobody I knew growing up cussed. The friends I hang out with, none of us cussed. Like we just, none of us had foul mouths. Nobody ever knew. I didn't ever heard it. It just wasn't how we talked. You know, if I ever did say something, you know, I was going to get a whooping from my parents or a teacher or whatever, you know. Remember the first time I ever tried to cuss? It was in the fourth grade, Melita Carlos's class. Holy mackerel. She wore out my hide. She sent a note home to my parents. They wore out my hide. That's why I don't cuss. It's not because I'm this remarkable moral person who has thought deeply about the morality of my language and read James 10 times about the danger of the tongue and catacomb. No. All those ways you think you're better, maybe you're just spiritually lucky that you grew up in a world with the people and environment and influences that protected you from the sin that got trapped everybody else how do you know you're in this line yeah you you spend a lot of time talking about how bad those other people are you you worry about 
Now, if those other people don't fix their problems, things are going to be bad, you know. What's the danger of being in this line? It shuts off repentance. Shuts off growth. It's probably not even true. I haven't even gotten to the greatest danger. The greatest danger. You line up. You've got to decide which line you're going to get in. Trying to get access to the kingdom of God. I haven't even told you the greatest danger of getting in this line. It's locked. It's not even open. Like even, even if you try to convince me or convince God or convince somebody that no, really, this is the line I belong in. I am better than most. Have you seen all those other people? Have you seen what they're doing to our world and our country and our family? And I, I'm definitely belong in this line. Did you not see how I, how I tithed and how I, how I kept myself sexually pure and I never stole from anybody and I've been faithful in my marriage and I was a pretty good dad and I worked pretty hard and I, I did, did the, I belong in this line. I'm not even gonna argue with you. Maybe you do. But the door's locked. That, this line doesn't even go the place you're trying to go. You get all the way up to the front of the line. I'm in the half ticket line. I, I got my tickets. And that line's moving so fast. You know why it's moving so fast? Because they walk right up to the front of the line and they find out the door's locked. Maybe you try it again. You can spend your whole life in this line. So, so what do you do? How do you, how do you get in? How do you gain access to God? How do you, that, that justified word, I know it's such a weird word, but it means so much. It means that you are declared not guilty. It means that you are in a relationship with God that can't be taken away. It means that you and God are square and you and other people are together. It means like everything is set right. How do you grow closer to God if the door is locked? How do you develop intimacy in prayer if the door is locked? Well, I guess we could, we could try the other door. I'm not a fan of it, though. You know, you know, if I got in this line, I mean, what would other people think? You know, that I forgot to buy my ticket in advance, you know, that I'm one of those people? What would people think? I mean, think about who you'd be in line with, right? Just think in your head about some of the people in the world who they need mercy. Whoa, boy, do they. You could end up standing in line with them. Think of the company you'd be surrounded by if you got in the in need of mercy line. What would other people think of you? Would they think that you were like them? I mean, that door may be locked, but it's filled with respectable people, that line. It does make you wonder, though, 
Like, like if it opened, you know? I mean, you sort of at least want to try it, right? You'd sort of like to know. And so maybe when nobody's looking, you could just walk over. Yep, it worked, it worked. It worked. That'd be pretty good to be on the other side of that door, wouldn't it? Sort of wish they'd used a smaller font. You know what I'm saying? Then maybe not everybody could read the door as you walk through, right? You know? Sort of like when you go to the doctor for something embarrassing, you just really hope they don't say what you're there for, you know? Did feel pretty good, though, when the handle turned. That was a pretty good feeling. That was a pretty good feeling. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, this one, not the other, went home. Justified before God. For everyone who exalts themselves, everyone who exalts themselves is going to be brought low. And everyone who humbles himself will be lifted up. I want to tell you good news today. And I want to offer you a stark spiritual warning. The good news is this door has been unlocked since the day Jesus died on the cross. And it will never be locked. If you will stop moral comparison. Maybe you aren't a Christian. You're just, sure, I'm a pretty good guy. And of course, when pretty good guys, pretty good gals, like, you know, I live a decent life. Of course, I'm going to find the door open when I go to it. I've lived such a good life. Or, or maybe you're a Christian and you tried that door once, but then God began to grow obedience in you. And you, you, you started by, by praising God for that. But then you became prideful of that. Being a pretty good person simply does not impress God. And it shouldn't impress you. You keep the standard for your life, Jesus Christ, and you will always know which door. And then maybe with fear, maybe with a little nervousness, I don't know. It depends on how well you know the love of God. I'll be honest, it's been a long time since I was afraid to walk through that door. I know that's the only door I belong. I know what line I belong in. I belong in this line and only this line. I, 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 this, is like, I don't even, this line has nothing to do with me. I don't even understand these people. Because I know what door is unlocked. I want you to know that. Do not become proud of the small degree of righteousness that you have developed. 
Good for you. Way to go. That is the blessing of God at work in your life. That is the spirit of God working in your life. You heard all me say all the yay obedience stuff earlier. Yay obedience. But when your obedience brings you spiritual pride along with it, and you begin to despise and condemn those who have not that same mark of obedience, that pride is a direct obstacle to God. And when you line up with all the respectable people, not perfect, but better than most, and you try to approach God through that door, it's always locked. But the one prayer God always answers is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And that door is always open. Let's pray. Gracious God, Some of us cannot leave today till we have confessed our spiritual pride to you. Confess that we have become confident in our own righteousness and have looked down on others who do not know you or who are far from you or who live a different way or whatever it is. We cannot leave today until we have confessed this sin because it is an obstacle to you and we want you, God. And all of us cannot leave today till we have prayed the prayer of the tax collector on our knees. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And for anybody who's afraid to pray that prayer today, I just pray that your spirit would give them the knowledge and the confidence that I have in my spirit that that door is always unlocked. That way is always open. May we walk through it today, Lord Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.